We are going to be in Luke chapter 4 this morning, Luke chapter 4, verse 16. So if you have your Bible with you, or you have your phone with you, or whatever it is you use, you can go ahead and pull that out, and we'll be there in just a moment. You know, a couple of years ago, a number of years ago now, I had the privilege of being in a crowd. It was a pretty large crowd, and we were listening to uh, Dr. Chuck Swindoll speak. If you don't know who that is, uh, he's someone that uh, I, I would look up to, someone that's written a lot of books, someone that's done a lot of teaching, someone that's done a lot of preaching around the world. And he was sharing with this crowd of people the 10 lessons he had learned in ministry over 50 years of preaching and teaching. And the one thing he said that really stuck with me is he said the one thing he's learned over decades of being in ministry and preaching and teaching is that it's hardest at home. It's hardest at home. He said, he said this, he said, of all the sermons I've ever given, I get off that stage and I have uh, so many people, thousands of people have come up to me and said, uh, Dr. Swindoll, that message changed my life. Dr. Swindoll, that was an amazing thing that, that was said. That's an amazing thing that was done. And he said, I have never once in my life come off of a stage and had my children say to, my, to me, oh, Father, Thank you for opening up the Bible and expounding on God's message for us today. He said, when I come off the stage, my kids look at me and say, Dad, your fly was down. And it's hardest at home. And isn't that true? Do you feel that in your life? You feel that in your life that sometimes you can go out and you can uh, be on your sports team or you can be in your clubs at school or you can sit in the classroom and, and be a hero and someone people look up to. You can go to work and, and, and be someone important, but you come home and it's hardest with the people that know you best. The passage we're going to look at this morning, Jesus experiences the exact same thing that he's beginning his ministry on this earth and he's going out and, and healing and he's going out and he's been baptized at this point. He's faced temptations uh, from the enemy, from the devil. And now he goes home and he realizes that sometimes it's true, that it can be hardest at home. If you've been with us over the last couple of months, you know that we've been in the Gospel of Luke, and there's four books in the New Testament that talk about Jesus's life and ministry on this earth. They're Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so we're parking ourselves in the Gospel of Luke this year to see what it tells us about the years of ministry that Jesus spent on this earth. And if you've been with us, you know that around Christmas, we were in the first couple of chapters talking about Jesus's birth. And then we got into the temptation and Jesus's baptism. And then we skipped way ahead and we pushed all the way to the end. And we talked about Jesus's death and resurrection around Easter. And now, if you can follow us, uh, good, good pastors would just preach straight through the book, but you have us as pastors, so we're jumping all over the place and hoping you can follow us. We're going all the way back to Luke chapter 4, verse 16. So this is just after Jesus has come out of this time of temptation in the desert. And what's going to happen here in Luke chapter 4 and Luke chapter 5 over the next couple of weeks is Luke is really going to set up what Jesus's mission is on this earth. I think that we can sit back and we can read all about Jesus and we could kind of create a list if we wanted to as to what Jesus's mission was when he was on this earth. But the beauty of these chapters in the Gospel of Luke is that we don't have to define Jesus's mission for him. He actually defines it himself. 
And so we're going to take a couple of weeks here and look through these chapters and ask these questions. What is it that Jesus says? Not what we say about his mission. What is it that Jesus says about his mission, why he was here, and what he came to accomplish? So we start in chapter 4, verse 16. We're going to read all the way through verse 30. I'd invite you to read along with me. And he, that's Jesus, and Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many, many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through his, their midst, he went away. There's a lot that happens in just a few short verses there. and We're going to try to talk through it a little bit. But I don't know about you, the question that comes to my mind immediately when I read that passage and I think through that text is how in the world do we go in just a few short verses from the people in Jesus' hometown wanting to hear him read scripture and speak in synagogue to everybody leaving the synagogue and taking him to the top of the hill upon which their town was built so that they could throw him off of it and kill him. That is a crazy turn of events from them going to want, from wanting to hear him to wanting to kill him, from wanting to claim them, him as one of their own to wanting to get rid of him. How in the world do we make that turn in this passage? Jesus, he comes into the synagogue and he takes the scroll of the book of Isaiah. It's a book that you have in your Bible and he turns to what is in our Bible, Isaiah chapter 61, verses one through two. And he reads a couple of verses and then he sits down and he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your midst. And what he's saying to the people is he is beginning to define his mission why he is here, and why he has come. And what Jesus is saying in that moment 
if you look at those verses from Isaiah 61, is that his mission, his mission is to bring good news to those who recognize they have a need. His mission is to bring good news to those who recognize that they have a need. If you look back at those verses, it's Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19 here. And the language that the prophet Isaiah uses, this is hundreds of years before Jesus would be on this earth. And he says that the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to who? To the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captive, sight to the blind, and liberty to the oppressed. And you look at those words, to the poor, to the captive, to the blind, to the oppressed, all four of those groups of people are people who recognize that they have a need. And when Jesus comes to this group and he says, this scripture is now being fulfilled among you, what he's saying is, I am the one who the prophet was talking about, and I am the one who has come to proclaim the good news, to bring liberty, to bring sight to those who recognize they have a need. In fact, in the next chapter, in chapter 5, Jesus will say it this way. He said, you know, those who are well have no need of a doctor, only those who are sick. And he says, I haven't come to call the righteous, but, to the, but the sinners to repentance. And what, what Jesus, Jesus is, is saying in, in there is, my mission is to come and help those who recognize they have a need. Come and minister to those who understand that they're far from God, understand that they're held captive by sin, understand that they do not see clearly. My mission is to come and to bring good news and liberty to them. There's a challenge with that mission, though. And the challenge expresses itself in a couple of ways in this passage and it expresses itself a couple of ways in our lives. Because if Jesus' mission is to help those who recognize that they have a need, it means that when we forget our need or when we don't recognize our need, that Jesus cannot really carry out his mission in our lives. If we want Jesus to bring liberty for us, if we want Jesus to set us free, if we want Jesus to proclaim good news in our lives, then if his mission is to do that to those who recognize a need, then the reality is unless we understand that we have a need, unless we recognize that we have a need, then Jesus cannot really carry out his mission in our lives. Have you ever tried to help someone who needs your help but doesn't recognize that they have a need? Have you ever tried that? Maybe your niece was over and she was playing with Legos and you could see that she got a couple of pieces uh, out of order in the instructions. And you couldn't help but look over because you knew if she kept building, every Lego piece that she put on after she put one out of order would be incorrect. And it wouldn't be until she had put on 50 more pieces or 100 more pieces that she was going to realize that this one piece was out of place. And you knew she had a need to correct that piece or else it was going to get much worse, but she didn't recognize that she had that need. And so you came and you said to her, hey, can I just fix this one piece? If you look at the instruction book, can I just fix this one piece? And she said back to you, don't touch it. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I, I know what I'm doing. And eventually, in a situation like that, you have no choice but just to walk away and let the situation play itself out. 
And certainly in life, we see more serious situations. There's someone at your work who you know you've done their job before, and you know that they have a need to, for someone to help them, and you try to help them, but they don't see their own need, and eventually there's not much more you can do. It's kind of what happens with this group of people in Jesus. This group is so familiar with Jesus. He's Joseph's son. They all know Joseph. This is a small town. And Jesus reads this passage, and he says to the people, this scripture is being fulfilled right now, today, among you. And the English text says that they all spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words that were coming out of his mouth, and they said, is this not Joseph's son? And the more we studied this passage over the last couple of weeks as a group of your pastors, the more we came to to realize that the original intent of the author may not come through very well in our English text. That it wasn't that they were necessarily marveled and amazed at how great Jesus was. They were more marveled and amazed at how great Jesus thought he was. Like they weren't saying, isn't this Joseph's son? It's amazing how he's turned out. They were saying, isn't this Joseph's son? Who does he think he is? Their amazement was more around Jesus' statement than it was around the fact that they saw Jesus as Messiah. We said it's hardest at home, and the reality is that this group was so familiar with Jesus that they couldn't really see him for who he is, and they certainly couldn't see that they had a need that only he could fulfill. The unfortunate reality is that Jesus had actually come to proclaim to them as well good news. He had come to speak in their midst and be in their gathering and and set them free and bring them liberty. But this group of people, they couldn't even understand their own need. They were so concerned about what Jesus was saying and the fact that he had the audacity to come into their synagogue and say things like this. They couldn't see who Jesus really was and that they had a great need. In fact, they were acting much more uh, like, like entitled insiders than needy outsiders. Jesus says in this passage, really, I've come to help those who recognize a need, those who recognize that without God's grace, they would be outsiders. And he's met at home by a group of people that were much more entitled insiders. They were assuming that if, if God was doing something new, they would certainly be a part. Uh, they're, they're the Israelites, they're Jewish people. They grew up in the synagogue. They're, they're part of God's chosen people. If God's gonna do something new, then obviously they would be grandfathered into that process. And then if Jesus is doing something on behalf of God, Jesus that they know because they watched him grow up and they watched him carry the wood and, they carry, and help his father as he was doing his carpentry work, they watched that little boy grow up that if Jesus was a part of God's plan, then certainly they would get some sort of of free pass in or they would get some sort of, of fast lane pass into the work that God was doing. But Jesus is not offering them that here. And I think one of the things that we see in this passage that you and I have to be careful of 
is that the more familiar we become with Jesus, the more likely it might be that we forget our true need that only Jesus can meet. Imagine with me that you had a cousin who worked at Fenway Park, and you were a huge baseball fan. Now, you may say, Pastor, I don't like sports at all. That's all right. Just stick with me for a moment. Stick with me for a moment. Imagine with me that you did. And your cousin said to you one time, you know, if you ever want to go to a game, please just let me know. I can get you tickets, no problem. And you were thrilled because you knew there was no other way you were going to get into a game. Those tickets are expensive. Those tickets are hard to come by. And you knew you just didn't have, have uh, the money or the time to go and try to figure out how you were going to get a ticket to the game. So you were thrilled that your cousin made this offer. So you called her up and you said, hey, I'd really like to go to a game. And she said, come down to the stadium. And you went down to Fenway Park and she gave you tickets at the gate and you walked in and you could not believe it. There you were, you had a seat, and you knew that unless she had been, had been so generous and gracious to you that you never would have gotten in to see this game. You took a selfie of you watching the game and texted it to her to say thank you. You sent her a gift afterwards because you were so grateful for all that she had done. And then she said, feel free to come again. And so you did. And every so often you began to text her or call her and say, hey, I'd like to go to the game. And every time she gave you tickets. And then it just kind of got to the point where you just started showing up at the gate. You knew that she would have tickets. So you just showed up to the gate and she would come down and she would give you tickets. And you didn't even have to even tell her anymore the games you were coming to. And you stopped sending all the selfies and you stopped sending all the gifts because it was enough of that already. And, and, and by this point, it, you kind of knew the deal. One day you come to the gate and you drop her name to the person at the gate and they go and get her and she comes down and she says, I'm sorry, I can't let you into the game today. And you say, why not? And she says, well, earlier today I was out on the street, I was walking to the park and I met a group of people that are visiting here from New York. They're actually Yankees fans, but they were super nice. And so I said to them, would you like to see a game at Fenway Park? They said, we'd love to see a game. And I gave them my tickets. Now, you're angry. You're frustrated. I mean, how dare she give away your seats to someone who's not part of the family and even worse, a Yankees fan. And see, all of a sudden, you've gotten so familiar that you've forgotten. They were never your tickets to begin with. The only reason you ever had a seat in the first place was because of her generosity to you. And when you first met Jesus, you were so aware of your sin and your lostness and your distance from God. And you would come into worship so desperately wanting to hear his voice and so desperately wanting to be in his presence. And you would come and you would spend time in prayer or you would come and you would spend time at the altar and you would lay it all out before him that everything that you had and everything that you were, it was his. And you were so aware that without his grace and without his mercy and without his goodness to you, you never would have had a seat at the table. You knew that you were a needy outsider 
who was brought in by the grace and generosity of God. That you were the blind and you were the captive. And you were the one that was poor. And God came and proclaimed to you good news and set you free and helped you see. But over time, you've, you've got familiar with the whole thing. And, and you know how church goes, and you know how church activity goes, and you read all the right books, and you listen to all the podcasts, and that whole understanding, that whole desperation that you used to feel, it begins to wane a little bit. And so you still show up, and you're still a part of everything that's happening, but what gets lost as we become more familiar with God and what it means to follow Him is that desperation, that understanding of our own need. And the danger that we face is that God does His work. Jesus' mission is for the person who recognizes their need. And when we stop recognizing our need, we run the risk of missing out on God's work in our lives. And so if the mission is for Jesus to come and do work in the lives of those who recognize their the need, they have a need. Certainly if we forget our need and we stop recognizing our need, then Jesus can no longer fulfill his mission in our life. But the other thing that's true that Jesus is telling this group of people is that for the sake of the mission, if he has to, he will pass over entitled insiders to meet the needs of grateful outsiders. And if he has to, he will pass over entitled insiders to meet the needs of grateful outsiders. You hear those two stories in this text. If you look back, if you look back at verse 25 through verse 27, Jesus tells two stories. And those are the two stories that send this crowd over the edge and almost send Jesus over the edge. Why is it that these two stories are so threatening? Why is it that these two stories cause the crowd, cause this group to begin to become so angry. Jesus in his hometown, he meets a group that he feels like are more entitled insiders than they are needy outsiders, and his mission is for the needy outsider. They don't recognize their need or that Jesus can fulfill their need. All they want him to do, Jesus says, as he looks into their hearts and minds, is just to come do some miracles. But Jesus doesn't do miracles just to do miracles. He does miracles to meet the needs of those who recognize they have a need. And so he tells them a couple stories. The first one is about Elijah and a widow at a place called Sidon. Zarephath, which is inside. And it's in 1 Kings chapter 17 if you'd like to read it. And then he tells a second story about Elisha healing a Syrian named Naaman of leprosy. In both of those stories, and as Jesus says in the text, there were many widows in Israel among God's people who were needy and who had need of food during this time. In fact, Jesus says there was a severe famine in the land. But God sends his prophet Elijah to a widow who's not part of the Israelites, to a Gentile, and meets her need. And the same thing with Naaman. There were many Israelites, Jesus is saying, who had leprosy. But God sends Elisha to heal Naaman the Syrian 
so that the people would know, so that people in Syria would know that God existed. And Jesus is saying, you know, just like in those days, God passed over his own people who were not recognizing him, who were not living in desperation for him, who did not understand their own need and how God could meet it. To meet the needs of people who were outsiders, who understood their need for grace and mercy and generosity from God. So I too am not going to do miracles here. I'm going to go and do them out there for the people who recognize their need. This very clear message by Jesus using two stories that this crowd would have been familiar with sent them over the edge. They couldn't take that they didn't see their own need and they didn't see how Jesus could meet that need. And now Jesus was saying he wasn't gonna do any work among them, that they were actually the outsiders, that his mission was not for them, that God's mission was not for them. And you know, the longer we follow Jesus Christ, the more we have to be careful that we don't slip into the role of entitled insider. I think when we first come to know Jesus and we understand our needs so deeply, we look at the outsider with compassion and mercy and we say to that and we say of that person, they need to know the grace of Jesus Christ. They need to understand the gospel. If only they would see their need, they would know that Jesus is the one that can meet that need. But the longer we become a part of this and the more we follow Jesus, it can happen over time where we start to forget our own need, we start to presume God's grace we start to take for granted all that God has done for us and then we start to look at that outsider as someone who needs to stay away as someone that God does not want to work in and as someone who's a danger to us all I remember a, a couple of years ago listening to a preacher and teacher named Gordon McDonald. He had come to speak to a group of pastors that I was a part of. If you don't know Gordon McDonald's story, it's pretty public. He's written a number of books uh, on it, but he was a pastor of a local church, a large local church for a number of years. And the way he puts it in his, in his uh, when he talks, is he says that he and his wife have enjoyed, I think at this point it's close to 50 years of great marriage, and he says we had one year of, of terrible marriage, and that year was my fault, Gordon McDonald says. He had an affair, and he lost his position in ministry at that time. He lost his voice, but he went through a lengthy period of redemption and restoration and recovery, and now has a new ministry later in life. Something happened in the 1990s after his very public um, affair and losing of his job. He wrote a book about rebuilding your broken world. Turns out the president of the United States read that book. The president of the United States at the time was Bill Clinton. In fact, he told Gordon MacDonald that he read it multiple times. After Bill Clinton's affairs became public, 
he asked Gordon McDonald to come and to be his personal spiritual mentor, and Gordon McDonald agreed. And there was a group of people in the church that became very upset. Gordon McDonald says he got letters, um, he got um, questioned by many people, and people would say some very nasty things that he was being tricked, that he was being taken in, that he was being used as a political pawn, that he was somehow uh, being, being, uh, being unworthy of his position in ministry, that he would go and do this. But Gordon MacDonald said, when I met with the president one-on-one, I didn't find an entitled insider. I found a needy outsider someone whose world was broken and knew they needed the grace of God. And he asked this question. He said, why would I not take advantage of sitting with the leader of the free world and trying to influence him for Jesus Christ? Sure, he might have been using me, but I met someone who was in need. Why would I not try and influence him for Jesus Christ? I don't know the status of the president's heart, or the former president's heart, but what I am saying is that we can never forget that Jesus' mission is to proclaim good news and liberty to those who recognize they are in need. And wherever we find those people, whether they're inside our midst or whether we consider them outside of our midst, we ought to, if we are going to be a part of that mission, go and spread God's grace to them. So, who is the group of people this morning that if Jesus came and spoke among us and he said to us, I'm not going to do any work here today, I'm going to go and do work out there, who is the group of people that it would make you furious to hear that Jesus was going to go and minister to. This crowd gets very upset when Jesus says that the message, his mission is for those outside of the room, that he's not accepted in his hometown. Who's the group of people that if he came and Jesus said, I don't feel accepted here, I'm gonna go do work out there. Who's the group of people that if he said that group, it would make you upset. Would you pray for that group today? Would you rather than being upset at those people, would you pray for them? Would you recognize that Jesus came for you and he also came for them? Will you allow the gospel and the truth of Jesus' mission to confront the insider in you today? Jesus, the truth is Jesus cannot work in the lives of those who assume they are in. He can only work in the lives of those who know they're not. Jesus cannot work in the lives of those who assume they're in. He can only work in the lives of those who know they're not. So today, do you see your need? 
And will you allow Jesus to come and work in your life? God, I thank you for your grace this morning. I thank you for your graciousness to us. I thank you for your goodness to us. God, I thank you for how you do your work in our lives. And Lord, this morning we recognize that we are so needy. That without you, we have nothing. Without you, we are captive. Without you, we are blind. Without you, we are poor. But because of you, we have new life. God, help us to have the eyes that you have. To come and to proclaim good news to those who know that they're in need, regardless of where we find them. Keep our hearts humble. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close out this time together in song and worship.